The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Hello, everyone, and we welcome you to CDF Sports and More Global Networking Broadcasting. And we would like to thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this show possible. We also welcome and thank our listeners for joining us today. Today, our guest is Dr. Hudson Garrett. He is recognized internationally, expert in infection prevention and control, and Dr. Garrett currently serves as the chairman of the Education Committee for the C. Diff Foundation and is a graduate of the John Hopkins Fellows Program in Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology. He was honored as the Who's Who for Infection Control by Infection Control Today magazine in 2013 in recognition of his contributions to this field. Today, we are going to be discussing with Dr. Garrett preventing C. difficile and CRE across the healthcare delivery system, a patient safety perspective. And at this time, we'd like to welcome Dr. Garrett to the program. Hello, Dr. Garrett, thank and thank you, for, thank you for being with us today. We really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Well, we won't waste any time, and right now we're going to be discussing Clostridium difficile infections. And maybe you can take a moment and explain to our listeners what exactly is a Clostridium difficile infection. Sure. So C. difficile is is what it's known as, is a bacteria that actually causes inflammation within the colon or the human gut. It's referred to as what we would call colitis. Unfortunately, this bacteria causes about 500,000 infections in the United States um, annually, um, as estimated by the CDC in 2011. And unfortunately, out of those um, infections, 29,000 of those patients died within 30 days of initial diagnosis. So this infection is very, very prevalent in healthcare settings. And we see it um, primarily in, in patients that receive medical care or also are taking antibiotics. Okay. And Dr. Garrett, would there also be, um, we know that there's the hospital-associated infection, C. difficile infection, that's found in the, you know, in the hospital, but do, are we seeing any community-acquired C. diff infections at this time? That's a great question, Nancy. We absolutely are. So many of the organisms, not just C. difficile, other organisms like MRSA, for example, we are now seeing the same strains in hospitals as we saw in the community and vice versa. So really, I say bugs have no boundaries, and this is truly the case with C. difficile. And since antibiotics are prescribed very often in the outpatient setting, it is not uncommon whatsoever for us to see C. difficile infection in the community. And quite frankly, it's, it's really on the rise. Exactly. That's what we had heard. And um, Dr. Garrett, are there different forms of C. difficile bacteria present in the environment? There are. There are really two basic forms that the bacteria can exist in in the environment. And this is really important for both healthcare providers as well as healthcare consumers to understand. The first form is what we refer to as the vegetative cell. And quite frankly, it's very easy to kill. Um, it's, you could pour rubbing alcohol on it and rub it around, and you would really inactivate the cell and prevent it from um, actually causing infection and transmitting. So it's very easy to kill that. Unfortunately, though, there's another form of it that's called the spore forming, where the actual organism forms an envelope spore that makes it very resistant in the environment. And what we find, Nancy, is that this resistant spore can really survive for weeks to months in the environment. And so that makes it very problematic for healthcare professionals, especially in long-term care nursing facilities, acute care hospitals, rehab hospitals, 
where these patients may be in there for several days and these spores exist in the environment and are very difficult to eradicate. And that's where the role of environmental services professionals maintaining a clean environment comes in handy. Right. And when the patients are at home, Dr. Garrett, isn't it true that they need to continue um, using the EPA registered disinfectant to kill these spores that are being emitted uh, in the um, in their fecal matter? That's absolutely correct, especially when a patient has active diarrhea or vomiting. And this is true for C. difficile as well as other organisms like norovirus that are very infectious. We want to treat that as an active infection until we can prove otherwise. And so to your point, it is a good idea to go ahead and disinfect those contaminated surfaces with an EPA-registered sporocidal agent. Most people use a 1 to 10 dilution of bleach that's got an EPA claim for C. difficile, but it's a good idea to do that in the home setting. And that also applies to home health patients as well in hospice. So it's not just a hospital-type um, condition. And we will find that hospital providers are using these products um, frequently throughout the day to make sure that the patient is remaining safe. And we also don't want to transmit it to our, our um, loved ones. And so when a patient is being visited by family members, we certainly don't want them to acquire C. difficile infection as well. Exactly. And that's why they're put on isolation in the hospital, Correct. Correct. And isolation is, I'm glad you brought that up, is another very hot topic in infection prevention and control right now because as healthcare providers, we're charged with, you know, treating multiple patients. And so we may be going back and forth between patients. And as such, it's important that isolation precautions such as gloves and gowns um, are used between patients. Um, We certainly don't want to transmit one organism to another patient. But we do have some evidence that shows that there's really not a ton of evidence that shows that we need to do that same practice for the family members because most likely they're already exposed to this. And so you'll see more and more healthcare facilities are actually not requiring isolation precautions strictly uh, for the patient's family members. Um, And it depends on the type of organism in the facility. But there are facilities that are doing this because we know that when we place patients on isolation, the amount of interactions that they have with the healthcare team in general go down because it's very um, hard to go into the room when you have to put on all this garb and actually enter the room and do it correctly. And so it's something that we have to think about. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And Dr. Garrett, can you explain to our listeners what are the common symptoms of a C. difficile infection? Of course, and I think it's important to note that not all patients will have all symptoms, but the most common symptom that we see is watery diarrhea, um, and it's a very significant diarrhea, so it's not just an over-the-night bug um, that, that people have had you know, throughout their life. Fever typically accompanies this. You can see loss of appetite, sometimes nausea, um, very rarely vomiting, abdominal pain, and tenderness, but again, watery diarrhea that's ongoing with the abdominal pain are probably two of the most significant symptoms that we see with C. difficile infection. Exactly. Okay. And that's exactly what the most of them come into a hospital with, correct? Absolutely. And that's typically the source of admission. And when we see these types of patients in the emergency department or urgent care or primary care, we really need to act on this appropriately. And it's important for patients to know that they need to share their complete medical history with the provider that's seeing them. And the reason that that's so important, Nancy, is that if we don't share our antibiotic history, other medications that we might take, or recent exposures to healthcare, then we can't properly treat these patients aggressively. And so understanding that maybe this individual was just exposed to a round of antibiotics is so helpful for us to know as we look for the proper treatment for these patients. Exactly. Thank you for sharing all that. And um, Dr. Garrett, what is the most significant risk factor that causes patients to contract a C. difficile infection? Well, this particular bacteria um, is actually spread through the fecal matter. And so you'll see it found on bathing tubs and, and thermometers. And we see it transmitted primarily through the contaminated hands of the healthcare provider. So the biggest risk factor that patients really will see is exposure to antibiotic therapy. And I'm not by any means saying don't take antibiotics when they're prescribed. What I'm saying is that we need to be very cautious as a healthcare provider team as well as a consumer society at only taking antibiotics when they're truly medically necessary. For example, viruses do not need antibiotics, nor do they treat um, the viruses. And so we really need to be better about being uh, more educated patients. And also as healthcare providers, we need to push back on the patients and say, I understand you came here for a specific reason, but today you're not indicated to get an antibiotic. Let me tell you why. So if we can really reduce the use and overuse of antibiotics, that's really going to make a big difference. Exactly. And of course, we can say right now that viruses are not 
um, treated with antibiotics, correct? That, that is correct. And that, that is a very big problem that we face here in, in our society is that we have a sense of entitlement to antibiotics or some type of prescription. And CDC's done some great work around looking at use of over-the-counter therapies to do more um, treatment of the symptoms versus prescribing antibiotics when not medically necessary. And I think this is an important point that consumers need to be aware of, that sometimes when we go to the doctor or to our provider, we may not leave with an antibiotic, and that is certainly okay. Yeah, thank you so much for stressing that point, too. And uh, all of our listeners, and um, whether they be clinicians or patients themselves and their families, um, the antibiotic usage is such a, a, a leading topic right now. And um, Dr. Garrett, are antibiotics safe to take, or do they increase the risk for contracting the C. difficile too great? So I I want to send a very clear message to our listeners that antibiotics, when medically necessary and when taken appropriately, are absolutely safe. Um, They're very life-saving drugs. They're, quite frankly, the only drug family that I can think of that really have impacted us over the course of society by saving, you know, millions and millions of lives. Unfortunately, we have not given them the respect that they deserve in many, in many instances. And so it is safe to take antibiotics. But what I would advise um, consumers as well as healthcare providers is that we need to do a better job of managing our, our stockpile. Um, so it's almost like you only have certain ingredients in your cupboard and you need to make sure that you protect those at all costs because the grocery store is on back order. And we are very much in that scenario right now with antibiotics that are coming down the pipeline with the US FDA, which regulates the distribution and, and sale of these products. And so I think we've got to do a better job of that, but it is certainly acceptable to take antibiotics, but we need to make sure we do it correctly in each and every time. We can't not take the whole prescription or stop taking it as soon as we feel better or worse yet, give it to our relatives or loved ones. That is certainly not something that's acceptable. No, no sharing antibiotics. We understand that. And Dr. Garrett, are there any new treatments to cure C. difficile infections uh, that are less risky than antibiotics at this time? There are, and I think this personalized genetic medicine uh, arena is really going to play a big role in this. But currently, probably the biggest treatment that's more of a holistic homeopathic is a fecal transplant, where essentially we take healthy fecal material from a donor, um, in many cases, a close relative or family member, and we then transplant that into the, the infected person's uh, colon. And that can be done in a very easy way. It's not as gross as it might sound to our listeners, um, but that is a very quick and easy way to replace the flora that's infected and almost regenerate, in a way, the immune system that is uh, many times present in the, in the actual GI tract. And so that's a quick and easy way to do this that does not rely on antibiotics. And actually, to your point, the recurrence rate of C. difficile with this type of treatment is much, much lower. And in some cases, patients are totally cured and do not have recurrences, which is huge um, for the patients that suffer from recurrent bouts of C. difficile. So we've got a lot of promise on the horizon. And I think we'll also see more genetic non-antibiotic therapies that will be coming down the FDA's pipelines here in the next few years. Wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing that. And also, um, patients and clinicians can find a listing of clinical studies uh, that are in progress at the time uh, on the C. diff Foundation's website, which is www.cdifffoundation.org. And at this time, Dr. Garrett, we are going to take a pause for a moment for the commercial breaks. And when we return, we will continue discussing preventative C. diff and CRE across the healthcare delivery system, a patient safety perspective. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the fourth annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. 
To help support the C-Diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-Diff. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C-Diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C-Diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C-Diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff Spores and More, Global Broadcasting Network, and we thank our listeners for joining us today. We would also like to welcome back Dr. Garrett, who is here with us in discussing preventative C. difficile and CRE across the healthcare delivery system, a patient safety perspective. Thank you so much for joining us again, Dr. Garrett. My pleasure, Nancy. Well, let's uh, move on to a really great discussion and a really great topic, the antibiotic stewardship. And can you explain what causes um, antibiotic resistance? Sure. So antibiotics or antimicrobials, which are kind of interchangeably used, is really the ability of the bug itself, the microbes, to resist the effect of drugs. And so we're really primarily talking about antibiotics. And so what happens is that the germs are not fully killed, and so their growth is not stopped. So if you think about almost like putting food coloring in a, in a glass of water and you stir it around, but the food coloring doesn't quite reach the bottom of the glass, that's really what we're referring to here, where it's not fully affecting all of the flora and the bad bacteria. One thing that I think is always a misnomer with consumers especially is that all bacteria are bad, and that is not true. Uh, There are many bacteria that really actually play a vital role in protecting us, and so there are some people that are even at greater risk than others, especially those that have had, you know, recent exposure to antibiotics. Maybe they're cancer patients or they have HIV or other immune disorders, and so these infections with resistant organisms are very, very difficult to treat. What we find, though, is that the microbes are so small for us to see, and they're found everywhere. And when we refer to microbes, we're really we're talking about bacteria and viruses and fungal organisms and parasites. So not all of them are bad. But how does the resistance physically happen? Well, first of all, you've got to have a lot of germs, um, and you've got to have kind of a germ party, if you will. And a few of those germs actually are drug-resistant. But what we find is that the antibiotics really kill most of the bacteria, But the problem is, is antibiotics in most cases are not selective to only those bacteria. And so you'll find that many patients that take antibiotics routinely will get diarrhea associated as a side effect. Well, part of that is due to the fact that we're wiping out the good bacteria that are present in the intestines. And so when we do that, we really uh, lose our natural defense, if you will, and allow that drug-resistant bacteria to grow and take over. And then what happens is once that drug-resistant bacteria is present, it can cause additional problems. We also find, Nancy, that this drug resistance can be related to the food supply. And so it's important to note that the CDC and the FDA are working very closely together to really drive better standardization in how our food supply is regulated and monitored and how that might affect healthcare patients and consumers alike. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Garrett. And uh, you started to mention, um, maybe you can tell us a little more about what the CDC is doing to combat drug resistance. Sure. So I think we need to look at it from a national standpoint. And as a national agency, CDC is really charged with protecting the public health interest of all Americans. 
And for the first time, they really calculated the total number of illnesses that they estimated to be caused by antibiotic resistance. And I think this number is going to alarm you. It certainly did me. But they found that over 2 million illnesses were caused by drug-resistant bacteria. And as a result of that, 23,000 deaths took place. And that number really stood out um, very strongly to me to say, we have a significant problem, not only from a number of infections, but even more importantly, from a development of new antibiotic therapies to treat these very deadly bacteria. But CDC is really doing four basic things. The first is they're trying to prevent the infection in the first place. And what we mean is, how do we enhance our hand hygiene? How do we do a better job of disinfecting the environment? How do we keep the patient out of the hospital if we can? How do we increase the uh, usage and, and compliance with vaccination rates? How can we handle our food more appropriately and only give antibiotics when medically necessary? So that's got to be the first step. And I think when we focus on the prevention rather than the response, it makes a lot of sense. This will also help us reduce the spread of resistance. The next thing that CDC is doing, Nancy, is really looking at better tracking. We have the National Healthcare Safety Network, which is a uh, national surveillance system that CDC uses to track reportable infections from America's hospitals and some outpatient facilities like dialysis and long-term care. This data is so powerful because it allows CDC to literally look at pockets of high-risk areas that might have higher than normal infections and also help to identify risk factors so that we can develop better evidence-based guidelines to treat these infections and prevent them, but even more importantly, to really arm patients with better questions to ask of their healthcare provider team. So this tracking mechanism is very important. Thirdly, and we've talked about this in the prior segment, is really looking at better use of antibiotics. We've got to do a better job of what we refer to as stewardship. And stewardship really means protecting everything that we have. It's almost like carrying antibiotics around in a golden chest. And we want to make sure that we're doing everything in our power to keep that chest closed unless it's absolutely necessary. And we have a high suspicion that the drug is going to work. If we don't, we don't want to use those drugs um, inappropriately. We need to use them more sparingly and also educate clinicians about the most appropriate type of antibiotic to use for the infection. And I think that that's important because we don't want to just start with the broadest drug. We want to give them the more narrow drug. And especially when we look at cultures and things of that nature. So if you, let's say you fall on the floor and you go into an urgent care and they culture that wound because it starts to grow something, well, we might need to change that antibiotic as soon as those culture results come back. And so it's important that patients have that communication and understand that part of the process. And the last step, Nancy, is really more of an FDA-CDC collaboration at looking at developing new drugs, specifically not just antibiotics, but also other uh, diagnostic therapies really looking at rapid diagnostics so that we can understand what are the potential risk factors that patients might be exposed to? Can we rapidly detect the presence of these organisms? And also, how do we make sure that we have a better alert system in place to alert the healthcare team of the presence of some of these deadly pathogens? So that's really what a, a, a kind of an overall summary of what CDC is currently doing. Outstanding. Thank you so much for sharing that information, Dr. Mm-hmm. Garrett. And sure. can, you tell, can you tell us what is the difference between an antibiotic and an antimicrobial? Well, so the two terms, as I mentioned before, are very interchangeably used and, and not the most appropriate um, combination. But an antibiotic is really an actual medication or drug that kills or stops the growth of bacteria. So penicillin, we're all familiar with. Cipro, uh, floxin is another example. So it is really limited to, to a specific type of drug. Typically, that's either um, ingested through oral therapy, we inject it, or we give it through an IV. An antimicrobial, however, is a much more broad term that really is a type of drug that kills or stops the growth of microbes, but includes bacteria and viruses, fungal organisms, and parasites. And I would call your attention to look at the number of antimicrobials that you have in your life. Think about things like laundry detergents that might contain an active ingredient to kill bacteria. Think about some toothpaste, which contain an active ingredient to kill bacteria and prevent gingivitis. We use hand hygiene solutions frequently in healthcare and even in consumer settings. We disinfect surfaces with EPA-registered disinfectants. There are now even new impregnated surfaces with things like silver or copper, where it's built into the actual material. 
And last but not least is a certain medical devices like dressings and catheters are now impregnated and are really considered an antimicrobial agent um, and regulated as medical devices. So when we think about C. difficile, all of these can really play a role um, in potential resistance, but we really concentrate our efforts on the antibiotic therapy. Um, and I think that makes a big, big difference. So do you think our listeners um, and just the, the uh, general public um, should actually cut back on, on limit their use on antimicrobial products? You know, that's a, a question that comes up often, especially around hand hygiene um, sanitizers. And, and when you look at some of these alcohol-based hand rubs, there's really no evidence that says that those types of products, when appropriately used, cause any kind of resistance. Um, however, I will tell you, as a consumer, um, I do not use those types of products in my own home, except in the restroom and in the kitchen, for the, you know, really due to the risk of um, the types of bacteria that are present in those two settings. But other than that, I use a non-antibacterial soap. Um, we really can create a lot of friction. Uh, that is uh, generated by the use of soap and water, and that, that is certainly acceptable. But in healthcare settings, we will always continue to use these types of products, but consumers really can make a personal judgment, um, especially if you're a cancer patient or have C. difficile infection or things like that. You know, most people are going to use something antibacterial, what I will say, though, is for things like spores, like C. difficile, we do not recommend the use of an alcohol-based hand sanitizer, and it has nothing to do with the active ingredients as much as the friction that's necessary that's generated through the lather of using soap and water will help remove the spores from the hands. Um, but it is, it is not something that I would say is a widespread concern um, for consumers to cut back on that use. Okay. No, thank you very much for explaining that. I was, um, I was just curious myself. <laughs> Okay, well, we also want to know is what are the most urgent and serious microorganisms um, that are for um, threatening for it to be drug resistance at this time? So I think the first thing we have to look at is really what is the definition of those. And, and really urgent is probably, as you can imagine, the top. So these are the high-consequence antibiotic-resistant threats that really meet a couple different criteria. Um, part of it is that they're widespread and they're a public health threat. And there's really three primarily um, in this category. The first, as we talked about in the first segment, was C. difficile. The second, which we're going to talk about in the next segment, is something called CRE, which is carbapenem-resistant bacteria. And believe it or not, the third is gonorrhea. We continue to see a spike in the amount of drug-resistant gonorrhea. So those are really the three urgent threats. Serious threats are those that are really significant, but not quite on the top of the list yet. Um, these are ones where we're starting to see uh, a low availability of current antibiotics at work. And there's a whole host of these. Um, a couple of the ones that we may be familiar with in the public especially are things like MRSA. We see that frequently. Drug-resistant tuberculosis. We've heard about that as recently in the last few years, if you might recall, where the gentleman was flying around on an airplane and had drug-resistant TB. Um, so we see that very often. Drug-resistant Shigella is a common foodborne illness that we see. Um, and then there's a couple other ones on here like Acinetobacter and Campylobacter, which are commonly found in healthcare settings. And one of the more emerging ones, Nancy, is something that we call ESBL. ESBL stands for Extended Spectrum Beta-Lactamase. It's a, it's a very genetically resistant um, kind of alteration of the genetics of a, of a bacteria that make it very, very drug resistant, in some cases, totally drug resistant. So those are the, the kind of top ones. And then at the very bottom of that list is the ones that we call concerning, where the threat is present, but it's not quite to the level of, of, of sounding an alarm. And I think, Nancy, you'll find these very interesting because they're all resistant to certain antibiotics. Um, the first is a vancomycin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Second one is an erythromycin-resistant group A streptococcus. And finally, we have clindamycin-resistant group B streptococcus. And so you'll see that these bacteria are resistant to certain widely used antibiotics, especially vancomycin, which is the primary treatment for C. difficile infection. So you can easily see how things are tied back to our overuse and misuse of antibiotics. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Garrett, for sharing this important information with our listeners and all of us today. Um, we're going to take a short break, and at this time, um, listen to the commercials, and we will be right back with Dr. Garrett to discuss preventing C. difficile and CRE across the healthcare delivery system, a patient safety perspective. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. We're 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the 4th Annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against CDIF and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for CDIF infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising CDIF awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back, and we thank our listeners for joining us today as we discuss preventing C. difficile and CRE across the healthcare delivery system, a patient safety perspective with Dr. Hudson Garrett, who is joining us today, and we welcome you back, Dr. Garrett. Thank you very much, Nancy, for having me. Oh, thank you so much for taking time to being here and sharing this great information with our listeners and we, when we were just speaking before break, we were talking about the antibiotic stewardship. Um, would you mind telling the listeners um, some healthy habits that they can use to reduce the incidence of infection and, and uh, preventing getting an antibiotic resistance? Sure. So I think really the first is, to, is a kind of a natural and a common sense effort of taking antibiotics as directed by the healthcare provider. And this means finishing the entire prescription, not just taking half or taking it until you feel better, and taking it completely as directed. So if it says take it at a specific time of day, we need to make sure that we make efforts to do that. Other things like not taking um, or using alcohol with it or other types of um, medications, you might have to talk to your pharmacist, which leads me into my second point, which is make your pharmacist your best friend, especially when taking antibiotics. They're a wealth of information. They have tons of resources at their disposal, and they better understand the pharmacology aspects and how the drug works and how it won't work than anyone else. And lastly, is really talk to the pharmacist also about considering probiotic therapy. Um, and it's important to make sure that you don't take that at the same time as your antibiotics. Um, so it's, again, a good idea to talk to your pharmacist as well as your healthcare provider. Okay. And that's really great advice for everybody. And Dr. Garrett, um, are there vaccines? Um, well, of course, there's vaccines, but are they safe? Um, yes, you know, vaccines have kind of gotten a bad rap out in the consumer community and, and vaccines widely are very safe and, and used effectively across not just the U.S. but the world. And what really troubles me at night as a healthcare professional is when I look at the amount of um, actual, uh, I guess, vaccine-preventable diseases, influenza, measles, mumps, and rubella, uh, tetanus, and yet we continue to see many of these, um, these, these diseases here in the United States and, and abroad. And so 
Vaccines are safe. Um, there's certainly a lot of controversy around them, and, and much of that scientific evidence has been refuted. But we need to make sure that we take our recommended vaccines um, as indicated by the CDC recommendations, and specifically look at things like influenza, the vaccine, which has cross-immunity for other things, uh, such as a little bit of pneumonia and also some cardiac protection. And so talk to your healthcare provider about what are the most appropriate vaccines and follow the CDC guidelines. Okay. And Dr. Garrett, how can everyone, uh, you know, listening and, and anyone in the general public, how can they reduce their risk for developing a healthcare associated infection while receiving medical care? Well, I think the first thing is to ask questions. Anything that looks funny is probably funny. And so it's always good to speak up and ask questions and feel empowered to do that. Ask your healthcare provider what they're doing, why they're giving you that medication, and why is that catheter necessary. Second is really washing the hands, and, and not just your healthcare providers, but each of us um, as consumers of healthcare. When our families come in to visit, everybody needs to wash their hands when they come in and when they leave, including your healthcare team. And I would say the next two things are really keep the surfaces as clean as possible, especially those that are directly around the patient. So the bedside table, uh, we know that the actual uh, remote that is used, the call light and the TV remote is the dirtiest thing in a hospital room. So those items need to be sanitized and disinfected with an EPA registered disinfectant. And last but not least, Nancy, it's one that people don't think about. Our most natural barrier for protection against an infection is our intact skin. And so when we you know, make artificial nicks or punctures or lacerations through surgery or putting it in a catheter, we're really actually opening up Pandora's box and saying, you know, to the bacteria, come on in. There's a, there's a party here. So keeping the skin intact is probably the last thing that I would also mention. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Garrett. And here is our next topic and one that a lot of uh, individuals do not understand. And it's really great that you can explain it. And that is, what exactly is CRE? So CRE is is a very commonly thrown around term in healthcare that many healthcare professionals even think is one particular bacteria. And in reality, it's actually a family of germs that are very, very drug resistant and difficult to treat. Some of the bacteria in Nancy are actually completely resistant to all known antibiotics. And so these particular organisms are a very big emergent threat to public health. Um, some of the common species or bacteria that you'll hear about in this, in this category are things like E. coli or Klebsiella. And these are germs that we commonly found in the normal human intestines in our gut. And so it, it's, you may say, well, how do they become you know, resistant? Well, again, it goes back to the use of antibiotics because sometimes these bacteria can really spread outside of the gut and infect wounds and the urine, the bloodstream, um, and also the lungs. And so it can be very, very problematic. And to your earlier point in the, the, the first segment is that this is an actual group of infections that we find both in healthcare and community settings. And so it's very, very problematic that we have to look at this as a holistic approach across the entire continuum of care, both inpatient and outpatient settings. And so carbapenem-resistant organisms are very, very difficult to treat. Okay. And can you explain where do they come from? Sure. So it's really a genetic alteration that's occurring as a result of our use as healthcare professionals of antibiotics. And so we, we really never know fully how an individual um, person's immunity will respond to an, an exposure to an antibiotic. How will that organism respond? And a good colleague and friend of mine always says, we're never going to keep up with the bugs. And so we, we have to kind of accept defeat, if you will, and say we can't keep up with the emerging nature of the microorganism itself, but we have to figure out a better way to outsmart it. And so part of that is understanding how CRE is spread so that we can really do a better job of making sure that we kind of intercept that transmission. And so it really takes a person-to-person transmission to happen. And so if we can look at, you know, keeping the hands clean, keeping wounds covered, making sure environmental surfaces are are cleaned and disinfected, that's going to make a big, big difference because we know that people that are receiving antibiotics and have health conditions um, ongoing like diabetes or hypertension or renal disease are at increased risk for contracting CRE. Okay, and that's what I was just going to ask you. Are there um, certain types of patients or a certain um, diagnosis that make patients more susceptible? And is there there anything else there are? 
besides diabetes? The people that are in in acute and long-term care facilities are typically the most um, high-risk patients, to your point, Nancy, and also people that have compromised immune systems or artificial catheters, like Foley catheters that go into the bladder, intravenous catheters that go into the vascular system, or um, endotracheal catheters that go into the respiratory system. These are all things that we've seen. And most recently, we've seen outbreaks of CRE associated with endoscopes that many of you have probably heard about in the news. And so there's a lot of efforts going on both with the CDC, the FDA, and collaboration with the manufacturers to really look at the appropriate cleaning of these medical devices. Right. And what should healthcare professionals do to reduce the incidence of CRE infections while caring for their patients? Well, they do a couple things. The first is hand hygiene, which we talked about before. Um, they also make sure that those rooms are fully disinfected and cleaned. Um, and they're going to practice isolation precautions. They're going to wear gowns and gloves, and they're going to make sure that they're doing that properly each and every time. They will isolate these patients hopefully putting them in a single patient occupancy room or cohorting them, as we call it, with another patient that has CRE. And then if we can, we're going to use dedicated medical equipment, such as blood pressure cuffs and pulse oximeters and stethoscopes to care for these types of patients. Another thing that we've talked about in all the segments today is really using antibiotics appropriately. So these patients are even higher risk for antibiotic resistance. And so it's important to have rapid testing methodologies at the hospital level to alert the clinicians of what's going on and how the patient is responding to the antibiotics. And so those are all very basic things that healthcare professionals are doing on a daily basis to prevent the spread of CRE transmission. Okay, terrific. And Dr. Garrett, Uh, At this time, we are going to pause for a moment to take a brief commercial break. And when we return, we will continue discussing preventing C. difficile and CRE across the healthcare delivery system, a patient safety perspective. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the fourth annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more global 
Broadcasting Network. We thank you for listening in today as we have our guest, Dr. Hudson Garrett, is here discussing preventing C. difficile and CRE across the healthcare delivery system, a patient safety perspective. Welcome back, Dr. Garrett. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you for being here with us and, you know, sharing all this important information And we're just going to jump right back in here and ask you if you wouldn't mind explaining the top three risks of acquiring a healthcare-associated infection while hospitalized. I I really think it boils down to what I refer to as the three common sources of contamination. The first is when a healthcare provider walks in with contaminated hands and then touches you or a piece of equipment that's used to care for you. The second that we find is the contaminated, what we refer to as clinical environment. So things like the bedside table, the bed rails, the the trays that might be used around you, the chair that you might be sitting in, and maintaining a clean environment makes a big difference. And the last is in maintaining intact skin. So anytime we put a catheter, a puncture, a laceration, a suture, you name it, we're really contaminating that skin, which again, as I mentioned in the previous segment, is our most natural barrier for infection uh, prevention. And so we need to make sure we keep the skin intact and also monitor it closely during hospitalization. Okay. Well, that's really good to know. And Dr. Garrett, should I use any special type of hand sanitizer to remove C. difficile spores from my hands when I'm at the hospital? So we actually don't recommend the use of an alcohol-based hand rub for C. difficile infection um, currently. And as I mentioned before, the reason being is that it really relies on the friction that's created by the soap and water in the lather. So really for C. difficile infection, healthcare providers nor the patients or families should be using an alcohol-based hand sanitizer. They should be using soap and water. Um, And non-antibacterial is certainly okay um, in the outpatient setting. Okay. And how can I remove deadly microbes from my healthcare environment during a hospitalization stay? Well, I think the first thing that you want to do is get to know your environmental services professional if you're hospitalized. Uh, you can certainly ask to see that person and meet them. That's the person that's going to come in and maintain your clean room each and every day and then also is responsible for cleaning and, and disinfecting that room at the time that you're discharged. Um, but watching them do their daily disinfection practices is going to make a big difference. Removing trash from the room will help as well. <clears throat> and then making sure that the staff adhere to isolation precautions will help prevent transmission. Okay. And Dr. Garrett, are there healthcare professionals um, that specialize in removing the pathogens from the healthcare environment besides the environmental services? So, you know, infection prevention is really everyone's responsibility, um, but environmental services technicians and professionals have the the ultimate responsibility for the clinical environment of care, and they work collaboratively with clinical nursing and other partners to maintain that uh, clean environment of care. So if you can think about it, you know, environmental services technicians may not feel comfortable for obvious reasons disinfecting a pump that is controlling your pain medication um, that's connected to you via IV. So that may be the nurse's responsibility, whereas environmental services is really responsible for the other surfaces within the patient care environment. And so that collaboration makes a big difference. But environmental services technicians at the front line can even achieve uh, certification through the Association for the Healthcare Environment, which is known as the CHEST program, that actually really helps them prepare for that frontline career in environmental services and gives them the foundational elements and knowledge to provide for a clean and sanitary clinical environment of care. Okay. And... Are there any other suggestions that you may have for all of us to keep ourselves safe while visiting a healthcare um, facility and how we can refrain from acquiring a healthcare associated infection? Well, there's really six basic steps, Nancy, that the CDC has identified. The first is speak up, ask questions, feel empowered, don't feel afraid. Um, it is not offensive to ask your healthcare provider, why am I taking this medicine? How long will I take it? Is it really necessary for me to do that? So feel comfortable asking those questions. The second, as we've talked about multiple times, is keeping the hands clean. We need to make sure that our hands are clean, our healthcare team's hands are clean, and our family members' hands are clean. The third is really looking at the antibiotics that we take. Make sure we take the right antibiotic at the right dosage for the right amount of time for the right organism. And so getting smart about these antibiotics will make a tremendous difference in working collaboratively with our physicians, our pharmacists, and our other care providers. 
The fourth thing that's recommended is actually knowing the signs and symptoms of infection. You know, if you think about it, Nancy, when a patient goes home, they, they need to really be alert for what does my wound need to look like if it might be infected? You know, what should I be aware of? Is it going to just be redness? Is it going to be drainage? Am I going to have pain? Am I going to have fever? So helping patients through that patient education um, understand what they're looking for makes a big difference so that we can catch some of these infections before they become completely resistant. The fifth thing that we've talked about in the first segment is really looking out for deadly diarrhea that could be indicative of C. difficile because we want to make sure we act on that quickly and appropriately. It may be related to the antibiotic. It may not, but we really want to get stool cultures and better understand that. And last but not least is protecting ourselves. And really what CDC means by this is getting the appropriate vaccinations, making sure we're taking care of our other comorbidities or other health problems as we refer to them. And I think that's going to make a big difference looking at the reduction of vaccine-preventable diseases by getting our annual flu shot, by making sure that if a healthcare provider, that we're getting our hepatitis B vaccination series. So little things like that make a big difference. If you're you know, over 50, considering a pneumonia shot. Um, these are all things that will help us reduce the risk for healthcare-associated infections and make our immune system less susceptible to some of these other deadly pathogens that we've talked about here today. Okay, well, Dr. Garrett, I appreciate, and we all appreciate you being here today, and and thank you for sharing this important information with our listeners. And um, we are going to um, take this time to thank everyone and thank our Clorox Healthcare for being our sponsor and, and helping us get this program continuing through each day, each week. And we thank you very much again, Dr. Garrett, for spending time with us today. Thank you, Nancy, for having me. And I certainly salute the, the mission and the objectives of the CETA Foundation. I think it's, it's so important that all of us as healthcare professionals and consumers really take that to the next level. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, we all can, we none of us do this alone. All of us can do this together. And we appreciate your your kind words. And right now we send our um, our best uh, wishes to all of, you know, everyone out there fighting a C. diff infection and recovering from one. And there's always hope. Uh, if you need more information, please visit our website at www.cdifffoundation.org. And again, thank you very much for listening today. Have a nice day. And until then, we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.